It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration makes the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms. Looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. Oh my gosh, so we're on episode 69. Wow, I cannot believe it. Holy moly, me too. So anything new going on? Anything exciting? Yeah, you know, I have to say, I was feeling uh, a little emotional because I had COVID. Mm -hmm. I got over it, and then I kind of was feeling bad. And I kind of reached out to a therapist to talk about it because I was like, why am I feeling so emotional? And it was interesting. They said that... They've talked to a lot of people recently that have just recently got COVID that, mm-hmm. you know, that they've kind of been feeling the same way, a little bit of shame and a little bit of defeat mm-hmm. and kind of well, makes to so get this far into, into it. it. And I think that's what she was, yeah. we were talking about. It's like, we've been two years in this, we've done all these kind of changes to our normal, to our normal life, mm-hmm. you know, the social distancing. So kind of, but it kind of made sense. But what I just want to share was it was great to talk to somebody to help you put words to some emotions. And sometimes and then you were normal. And then, yeah. yeah. And then I was able to move past it. And then I was yeah. like, fine. I felt better. Yeah, good. But as we talk in, on about inspiration, yeah. I think it's important to say that sometimes life is messy. Yes. We get stuck. Well, and I'm going to we talk about sick, that today with, or, with my book. Yeah. Or we happens. feel, you know, and, and that's, that's okay too. You and know? Pushing on and figuring out, you know, right. like what you did when yeah. talking to someone. Yeah. So, so I'm glad you're, I'm so glad you're feeling better. I'm so glad yeah, we get to see I, each other. Yeah, I was, yeah, woohoo. Yeah. I didn't expect that part of it. So February is Black History Month, and this year it corresponds with the Winter Olympics. Right, yeah. As it turns out, earlier last week, some black history was made at the Winter Olympics. The amazing Aaron Jackson won the 500 meters speed skating event on Sunday, bringing home the first U.S. gold medal in Olympic speed skating by a black woman. I that's Which, awesome. Um, she's not only the first black woman to win a gold in this event for the U.S., but the first black woman ever to win an individual medal in speed skating from anywhere. Wow! So it's huge. And she's and she's just recently switched. I know to that. She was doing. She was um, figure skating. And then she did inline skating. And so, but to make yeah, that switch, I think I it's not, it's only been a couple like years. Very so amazing time. that she's definitely an athlete. Yeah. Wow. Um, she's also only the second US woman to win an individual medal in speed skating since Bonnie Blair won the gold in 1994. Wow. Cool. Speedy J, as she's nicknamed, won by only 0.08 seconds. So we were chatting about the just, fractions yeah. of seconds um, <laughs> before Japan's Miho Takaji, who took second. It's just such a small amount of time. Russian speed skater Angela Golikova took the bronze. Um, she said, I cried immediately. It was just a big release of emotion, a lot of shock, a lot of relief, and a lot of happiness. I haven't fully processed everything quite yet, but it feels amazing. Aww. She was quoted after her big win. What's crazy about this is Aaron Jackson's from Florida, not exactly this way. I you know, were starting you to wouldn't say, think. Yeah. Or you think of ice skating. But it makes sense because Erin didn't start out as a speed skater on the ice, as you said. She was a speed skater on land using inline skates. Erin moved from rollerblades to ice skates just six months before tryouts for the 2018 Winter Olympic team. 
She made the 2018 team and finished 24th overall, which considering... That's she amazing. Just, yeah, it's yeah. huge. It's crazy. And she just started ice skating not long before, so it's pretty incredible. For the 2020 Winter Olympics, during the finals for a spot on the Olympic team, this is the part of the story that I loved. Erin had, I'm not, I don't love this part of it, but Erin had a bad slip. She just oh, narrowly right. yeah. missed making the team. Yeah. So her teammate, Brittany Bowe, gave her her first place spot in the tryouts to make room for Erin to join the 2020 team. So that's the part I love, the team spirit. Bowe said that she knew that Erin was the U.S. team's best chance for bringing home the gold. No one's more deserving than her to get an opportunity to bring Team USA home a medal, said Bowe, speaking about Erin. Both Bowe and Jackson grew up together in Okala, Florida, as part of the same inline speed skating team. Erin said, speaking about her teammate, Bo, I was extremely grateful and humbled and happy. Brittany's an amazingly selfless person, and I'm honored to call her a friend. Due to some last-minute readjustments to the team, Bo was able to compete as well as part of Team USA, finishing in 16th place. So, Jackson said that she was originally inspired by Michelle Kwan. Oh, wow. Who I read yeah. in People just recently at 40 had a baby. Oh, adorable. It's hard to believe it. I know. Fast. She seems 40. like, yeah, yeah. still like, very yeah. young. I remember watching Michelle Kwan and other skaters in the Winter Olympics as a you know, when I was younger, yeah. she started off doing artistic roller skating, which is basically figure skating on roller skates, and eventually moved to inline skating. Although a very successful inline speed skater, there's no Olympic inline skating event yet. I hope maybe someday yeah. that will change. So she switched to ice speed skating. She still enjoys inline skating and also participates in roller derby, which yeah. I can't believe. Maybe so some summer Olympics, you know, who knows? Maybe. That might get added. Which she said is great cardio and cross training, but... Just an amazing athlete. We're so lucky to have her representing Team USA. Since we're talking about the Winter Olympics and Black History, I just wanted to mention Debbie Thomas. Do you remember her? I don't. So back, um, Debbie was at the 1986 World Champion figure skater. She was a two-time U.S. national champion and a 1988 Olympic bronze medalist. Debbie started skating when she was five in San Jose, California, she had her first figure skating competition at nine, winning first place. Her mom was a computer programmer. She drove almost 100 miles a day between home, school, and the ice rink. At 18, she won the world championship of figure skating, winning both the long and the short programs. She was the ABC Wild World of Sports Athlete of the Year for 1986 and was the first black athlete to hold U.S. national titles in ladies' singles figure skating. And she did all of this while attending college full-time. So these ladies. What a go-getter. Holy smokes. Yes, rock stars. In 1988, she went to the Winter Olympics held in Calgary, Canada, and faced off with East German skater Katarina Vitt, which I remember okay, this. yeah. The press was calling it a battle of the Carmens because both Debbie and Katarina Vitt were skating their long programs to the same opera oh, song. Oh, okay, this is coming back to me. Boy, my memory. So she had some technical issues in her performance and ended up taking the bronze medal behind Katarina Vitt with the gold and Canadian Elizabeth Manley with the silver medal. However, by winning the bronze medal, Debbie Thomas made history by becoming the first black athlete to win any medal in the Winter Olympics. And while her skating career ended not long after the Olympic win, Debbie went on to finish her degree in engineering from Stanford and then got her medical degree from Northwestern University. Debbie went on to become an orthopedic surgeon specializing in hip and knee replacement. Unfortunately, Debbie later had difficulties with bipolar disorder. They had to end her medical career and created difficulties for her. She's still a trailblazer who 
broke ground for other black That's athletes so awesome. in a sport that was considered to be, you know, primarily a white sport. Since Debbie Thomas, there have only been a handful of black skaters. As Canadian skater Vanessa James put it, if you don't see yourself in the sport, can you believe that you belong? James says she imagines that somewhere young black girls are watching the Winter Games and thinking, I look like her. Right. I want to be just like her. I can do that. I can be better than that. And it takes brave athletes like Debbie Thomas to be that example, to inspire young people to try. And I'm just so thankful for athletes like Aaron Jackson and Debbie Thomas doing yeah, that. Totally. Amazing ladies. Awesome. I feel like we've had quite a few mature warnings lately, but we always want to make sure we're being sensitive. In this yeah. episode, we'll be dealing with mental health. And while Alexi Pappas was able to successfully navigate through that with the help of professionals and medication, not everyone is able to do that. We see people like Robin Williams, who was always making everyone else laugh when he was hurting inside. Yeah. No one knew. Right. Kate Spade, brilliant designer, but you know succumbed to depression. Anthony Bourdain was talented beyond belief, but wasn't able to overcome his illness. So just a reminder to check in on our friends, even the ones who seem like they have it all together. We never know what's going on on the inside, so reach out and love on people. And if you have dark thoughts, especially make sure to reach out. There's no shame in it. We've all had dark days. The National Suicide Prevention Hotline for the United States is 1-800-273-8255. Once again, that's 1-800-273-8255. With that said, we're going to talk about an Olympian I'd never heard of. I might be closing in on 50, but I love the Mighty Girls newsletter. They send out suggestions for girl power books to read, and they usually include every age bracket. One of their newsletters got me curious about a book about a young lady runner, writer, and actress. I'd never heard of Alexi Pappas, but I figured it was a perfect time to read her book. Yeah. Bravey, Chasing Dreams, Befriending Pain, and Other Big Ideas. Thought it was timely to read now since Alexi participated in two Olympic Games for Greece, and now we're smack dab in the middle of the Winter Games as we speak. I didn't recognize her name, but I certainly recognized Maya Rudolph who wrote the foreword in her book from Saturday Night Live, as well as Allison Felix, who I want to do an episode (laughs) on for sure, Um, and Shalane Flanagan, running goddesses in in my book. Evening things out, Mindy Kaling wrote, you know, a recommendation for the book too. So surely all of these strong women wouldn't steer me wrong. And once again, Mighty Girls, they suggest it for adults too. So I'll just point out that the book started out as anything but inspirational. The poor girl lost her mom when she was just five years old, and I would argue that I'm not even sure she ever really had a mom, technically. Shortly after she was born, her mother was diagnosed as bipolar with manic depression. Her mental illness required hospitalization at times. She was addicted to painkillers to help with the back injury that had been triggered from complications related to pregnancy. In her younger days, she had been a talented athlete and one of the first female software consultants at her firm. Alexi has four memories of her mother. Four memories that she wrote about. In her memories, her mother was tall, even though in actuality she was under five five 
But from her perspective. Yes, yeah, but being a kid, she thought she was tall. Um, and she always wore some sort of nylon, swishy, you know, made a lot of sound, oh, swishy tracksuit. That's funny. Because her mother was sick, she was in and out of asylums. So she felt more like her mom was a jack-in-the-box mm-hmm. to Alexi than yeah. a parent. Her mom was clearly ill. When she was going through notes, she read that her mother had lit herself and her room on fire. Fortunately, the orderlies had discovered it in time and saved her at that time. It just shows the sheer desperation to end her struggle. It was always a big deal when her mom was allowed to come home. One time so much so that her father brought fresh lobsters for the whole family. So they celebrated when her mom could come home. One of the four memories is her mother dressed in a red nylon tracksuit, leaning on her doorframe. Hugging was not her thing. She said she doesn't remember a single hug from her mother, but she reached her arm out, and in it she had her cigarette in hand to share with her, you know, maybe four-year-old daughter. Alexi knew that smoking was bad, like really bad, she said, but she so wanted to be part of her mother's life that she shared that experience with her. Wow. She might not get hugs, but she would savor something that touched her mother's lips. Her second memory was her mom in the kitchen wearing a turquoise tracksuit and screaming at the top of her lungs at her father. Alexi was hungry and wanted to get something out of the kitchen, but there was no way she was going to go downstairs and enter the war zone. All the while, her dad didn't raise his voice in the slightest. Father taught Alexi to see her mom with compassion. She referred to her dad as a giving tree. And after reading this book, I can totally see why. It makes me want to go get that That's a great book. I love that book. My nephew's bet. Her third memory was extremely disturbing. Alexi was four and a half, and the light was off in her mother's room, but the bathroom light was on in the distance. You know, she's this curious kid, and um, she had taken her mom's lipstick, and so she, you know, she wants to see what her her mom's doing, so she goes to visit her mother. Maybe she just wanted to get a glimpse of her mom. Either way, she was just desperate for anything. She heads in, and, and like a scene in a horror movie, her mother had a saw and was sawing her arm off. Wow. Oh my she gosh. turns to her daughter and and said to Alexi, don't tell your father. Of course, you know, she ignored the request. She found her father. But seriously, the damage was already done. Yeah. Her final memory was just a few seconds long. This memory is good. She was riding her her bike without training wheels for the first time. They lived like by a lagoon. So she's Aww. going around the lagoon. She looks back and she sees her mom in a tracksuit, leaning against the doorframe, watching her on her bike. She's elated that her mom is just watching her. Yeah. That's, that's all it took. And it was a Aww. matter of seconds. She said, I don't remember if I fell next or right. you know, what happened. But she said, I looked back and for a minute my mom was paying attention to me. Right. I don't have a lot of memories of my mom before I was five. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe how her brain. That little. Yeah. yeah. So it's heartbreaking that this young lady would have such a short time with her mom. And even more heart-wrenching is the fact that her mom was so ill for that short time that they had. It's evident throughout the entire book that this woman had a, that this woman has a great relationship. Alexi has a great relationship with her dad. They clearly adore each other. But, you know, you got to be real. Her dad did what he could. He was trying to keep a roof over their heads, food on the table. You know, he had his career. Not to mention, I'm sure this guy was struggling on the inside with the tragic and extremely premature death of his wife. The guy had a lot on his plate, so it's easy to see why he wasn't, I mean, he was actually opposite of a helicopter parent. Right, right. 
She grew up admiring Mia Hamm, the Spice Girls. I think she said she wrote a fangirl letter to the Spice Girls and the Cal Berkeley Women's Soccer League. Her dad would spend long hours at work, so he hired au pairs to help raise Alexia and her older brother. She had one au pair named Petra, who she adored and emulated. She loved everything that she did and how she carried herself, how she warmed up on the basketball court. Because of work visas, the au pairs were only allowed to work for a year. So when it came time for her to leave, Alexi said she wanted to be just like her. Petra's response, be a very big Alexi instead. And I just loved this. It was so simple, but so dang hard. But it was solid advice for sure. The book is sprinkled with lessons Alexi's learned along this journey of life. And she, I'm assuming, is is pretty young. Just it almost sounds like she's maybe my son's age. Okay. Um, but she starts off pointing out that we're brave to survive. Yeah. And I like that. If you think about it, it's true. There's so much pain and suffering in the world. And life can be brutal, but we must be brave and push through. She also pointed out that we can't control the engine we've been given, our bodies. Yeah. I loved this yeah. part. But we can control how we treat that engine. That's true. So, That's true. so true. And I just, I love that perspective. So this young lady gave me a lot of fresh, yeah. great perspectives that I definitely took away. She came to the conclusion that after she was invited to a weekend getaway with a professor who struggled with day-to-day movement due to MS. Okay. Alexia had been her most devoted poetry student, and she was weighing whether or not she should accept an MFA scholarship or try to pursue running. Her mentor, this professor at the time, encouraged her to take up running and see where she could, you know, take it. Wow. She noted that she'd have the rest of her life to write, but she had to take advantage of her talents now and see where they might lead. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, when you're young. It is. So she kind of stepped in for her, you know, a a motherly type role. Right. But I think it was very wise and sweet of this lady to take her in. For Alexi, bravey was her internal word, something she would say to herself. It made me want to come up with my own one-word mantra. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and actually, she did some runs where people would hold up signs, go, bravey, go. Oh, so it, I yeah. think it came became her thing. But her first memory of running was chasing a punk in first grade. <laughs> this boy in her class had made fun of her best friend. This little firecracker took off after him and stabbed him with a pencil. Aww. So I'm, I'm, you know, yeah. never would encourage violence. But at the same time, I bet you that boy thought twice about teasing those girls again. I don't think her dad was too worried about it either. He very much raised his children to take care of themselves. Not that he neglected them or anything. When there was a point in her life where she wanted to stop running and take up soccer. Yeah. And he was all over it. He just supported what she wanted to do. Which I love. Yeah, totally. They most certainly knew, um, her and her brother most certainly knew that they were loved and supported. But he didn't, the dad didn't hover or force things on his kids. I think it allowed Alexi to see things from a very unique perspective. She noticed early on that there's a difference between a parent helping open a door for a child and a parent pushing that child through the door. Right. So her father cooked when he got home from work on time, but she'd often eat at a friend's house usually Katie's house. She loved the smell of food, of the food cooking, and Aww. she'd ask her friend if they could do homework in the kitchen. Cute. And I'm sure the friend was like, wouldn't you rather be in you know, the room? Yeah, yeah, a little privacy. But she just loved to watch Katie's mom cook and be able to ask questions. Right. Probably that home life yes. was probably appealing. 
Um, she would say that it was in the kitchen with Katie's mom that she learned how to how important genuine curiosity is to start or even just have a conversation, which I love because yeah. she, you know, learned that from her mom asking questions, right. which is how we how we learn, how we grow. Once again, why is beyond her years? She pointed out that asking for help is a type of superpower, which I love that you pointed, you know, yeah. you commented on that with the whole COVID thing. Right. Wondering why you're feeling that way. So it's the first step in finding a mentor and inviting change. Pride too often prevents us from reaching out for help. Interestingly, when someone is asked for help, it usually makes them feel happy and honored. For sure. You know, it's being real and allowing ourselves to be vulnerable when we can grow. People we admire and respect can straight out change our lives if we let them in. While food isn't something real deep, Alexi would say that Melissa Clark, have you ever heard of her? I have. No. She no. must do food demonstrations. Oh, okay. She'd pretend that she was her food mom Aww. with food recipes. She'd watch her shows and ultimately took away that it's better to be brave than perfect. She yeah. learned that from her shows. That concept came from, you know, food shows, but it resonated with me. I think too often for me, I miss out on things because I put them off until I can do them you know in my mind perfectly or you know not embarrass myself and that's a huge waste right we learn from our mistakes in the kitchen and out in the real world she talked about you know melissa saying if you make something it doesn't taste right add more mint right you could just fix it change it up and just fix it right but that's how you learn and i've decided that i'm not going to grow if i'm not failing right you know if i'm not making mistakes if we aren't falling at times our challenges are too small she points out that perfection is boring, which I loved that yeah, too, because right. it's so true, but I yeah. hadn't thought about it before. Alexi also discovered that her competitors didn't show pain, but they felt it all the same. When she decided to train to qualify for the Olympics her first time around, she was running with Dina Castor. I can't even imagine. <laughs> She's trying to do her best to hang with and you know not get dropped, listening to Dina's hawk fable and knows that she could not be in more capable hands of a me- with a mentor, but she's just trying to relax her breathing like Dina. And I just think it's so cool that she got the opportunity in the first place. Right. She already had great coaching at U of O where she attended her fifth year. But still, Dina Cadster, I mean, mm, yeah, <laughs> running royalty. Her coach, Ian, um, from U of O, had taught her the law of thirds, which I'm going to remember from here on out. He said, with your training, a third of the time you feel good. Third of the time you feel okay. <laughs> a third of the time you feel crappy. Uh-huh. I'm curious if this translates yeah. into other areas of right. life. So Maybe. I'm, gonna, I'm for sure. That's yeah. I'm gonna be paying attention to this. So Alexi has definitely had her moments of feeling crappy. Keep in mind her mother and her uncle both committed suicide. So both kids in that family clearly struggled with mental health. When injuries, stress, and fear of the unknown sent Alexi spiraling into a depression, I'm sure her dad couldn't help but panic because he had dealt with that. Someone suggested a life coach, which she tried. But when you're dealing with chronic depression, you need a medical professional who can assemble the best team to help. You know, when you need prescribed meds to get 
the chemicals. Right. Yeah. In line, in your brain. Some girlfriends grabbed her one day and drove her up to Portland to go wedding dress shopping. She said it was the last thing she wanted to do. She kept Aww. saying, I just want to stay home. Yeah. But her girlfriends refused to let her stay home alone. It helped her to know how much they cared for her. And she ended up finding a skirt that day that she would end up wearing at her wedding. Well, she loved the skirt. When she looks at pictures of the day in the state she was in, she said it looked like Sylvia Plath on her wedding day. Aww. So she clearly just was struggling. That day not only reminded her of the importance of good friends, but also that actions first followed with feelings. She didn't want to go shopping with her friends, but she later knew it was exactly what she needed to do. Yeah. She wouldn't have chosen to do that, but her right. friends forced her, so... Good learning experience. She knew she was depressed when things that once made her happy now made her sad. She'd go out for a run and the trees didn't cheer her up like they once had. was not easy to conquer her depression, but with hard work and experts steering her in the right direction, she slowly came out of the fog. She remembered a time when they were at a restaurant in Malibu when she was um, little and Robert Downey Jr. was there. Her family talked her into going up to him and asking for his autograph since she was, oh, you know, right. well, this young, cute kid. little six-year-old. She said he looked awful, uncapped, oh. and like he was homeless. She said he just looked really sad. Apparently, it was around the time that he had been released from prison. She would later find out. When she asked him for his autograph, he told her that he was like, Young lady, you've just made my day. So years later, she was injured and in a running funk, and a couple of girls asked her for her autograph. She said she understood how Robert Downey Jr. felt that day in having hope and feeling like she was going to get back on track. Out of her depression, she was fearless for the first time. She realized that fear causes desperation. We should be motivated by passion instead. She'd been able to do what her mom had not been able to do. She did her Olympic thing. She made her indie movie called Track Town, which right now is on Netflix. She also had, um, I saw Track Town and um, Olympic Dreams. Oh, That's another one I haven't cool. seen yet. The first review she reads in Variety, it's not exactly flattering. I think the chapter um, in the book was called Flat Chest and Gnarly Feet. Oh. <laughs> not because she was upset that she had them. Right. But because the reviewer would comment on it. Oh. I mean, what does that yeah. have to do with a movie? Yeah. But anyway, she was an athlete. So it's kind of ridiculous, I got to say. But fortunately, that terrible review was matched with others that called her a cross between Audrey Hepburn and Joan Cusack. Oh, I like both of those I know, people. Me too. So, so it's definitely bad. a compliment. Yeah. Once she was interviewed after a disappointing race, the interviewer kept pushing her like he wanted her to talk about her failure. But she reframed it and said she was proud of her performance. No, she hadn't raced as well as she wanted, but the race was part of the lesson. I think my favorite part of this book was her reminder to reframe our losses and setbacks, to use them as instructions not allowing them to damage us or keep us down. Right. She reminded me a lot of Chrissy Wellington, who told me once that she rather enjoyed pain. And I really think no one enjoys pain. But her point was that that part of what sets you apart from others is learning from the pain and coming out on the other side stronger because of it rather than just giving up because of the pain. Alexi would say that life isn't about reducing our pain to nothing, but to embrace the pain as an invitation to grow. Which oh, I that's love. awesome, yeah. We can make our own shortcomings something beautiful with integrity. It's how we frame and label an experience. 
I absolutely love that. Our perception is so powerful and we have control of that. She said that being a hero is a choice you can make, not a cape someone else will drape over you. You can make your own cape. And let me just say that I freaking love that. (laughs) I'm so grateful I haven't had to endure the heartache this poor woman has lived through. Right. But I'm inspired that she rewrote her ending. Right. Yes, her mother ended her own life and she had those demons, but she wasn't going to allow it to define her. She found a note from her grandmother to her mother. I I thought about reading it. It's pretty long, but and it was well intended. But she, you know, she says you need to do this, and you have so much to live for, and you need to be grateful. You have a nice house. You have wonderful. You know, you need to make a choice to. And they just it it, it it's not a choice. It, they they want to be well. It just was not what she needed to hear. Fortunately, now we know. That it isn't about making a choice. Right. You know, there are actual chemical imbalances taking place in in the brain. So in general, society's gotten so much better at understanding depression. We can now talk about it without it being taboo. But we still have a long ways to go. I appreciate that this young woman is talking about it. Talk about being brave. For sure. She's used everything she could to fight those demons. And she's used it as a lesson. A lesson for herself and a lesson for others. I'll think of this book every time I see a marshmallow now because I loved this. She compared us to marshmallows, noting that they might be squeezed from pressure, but they eventually reinflate, which is so true. This book is just full of all sorts of good knowledge. You can be one thing or two or three. You can be beauty and the beast. Alexi Pappas. You gave me an article from your favorite mag, People, <laughs> on Lindsay Vaughn, who's a world-class gold medal Olympic skier. She's she's known for being a fierce approach, you know, with the downhill and super G and yeah, giant crazy slalom. Um, she's a powerhouse on the slopes. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a big fan. I've watched her in the Winter Olympics many times since her debut in 2002. My favorite is the giant slalom. She started skiing at seven and was in her first World Cup at 16. At 18, she competed in her first Olympics in 2002. Skiing was an area of her life where she always felt control. However, in other parts of her life, she struggled and the road wasn't easy. She's now retired and is speaking out about her battle with depression. Her struggle with depression began when she was 18 years old. She describes her Olympic and World Cup wins as a roller coaster where she would stand at the top of the run stomping her skis and mentally reviewing every nuance of the race course and would say to herself, I've got this, I can do it. Then came the adrenaline, the rush of the racing, and then after all, she's going 90, you know, not they're going 90 miles it's per hour. It's crazy. crazy. So, but then after the race, she says it was really when she struggled, you know, heading back to her hotel room feeling lonely and not sure how to process. I mean, what an emotional yeah, roller coaster. Up and down, up yeah, and down, up and down. Yeah. And as her depression worsened, she had times where she'd cry herself to sleep and would keep saying to herself, this will pass. And it really came to a head when she all all of a sudden was putting off her workouts. Like she'd push them Mm -hmm. out and push them out. Mm -hmm. She realized she needed to get some help. And a friend suggested a therapist who prescribed Zoloft. And within a month, she felt like herself again. And she knows that it's just not antidepressants or the quick fist. They're part of the, you know, therapy. She does a lot of journaling. She says it's been helpful for her and surrounding herself with friends and working out. And now she can really enjoy the solitude. 
And she also gives kudos to other Olympic athletes like Simone Biles, who mm-hmm. you talked about in episode 46, and Naomi um, Osaka, who are speaking out yeah. about their yeah. struggles with mental health. Because we look at these people, you know, they're icons that they appear to have everything. Right. But we don't know what's going on inside. Right. I mean, it's super inspiring to hear world-class athletes talk about mm-hmm. mental health, which hopefully, you know, the more we talk about it's going to normalize yeah. it. It's a disease like any other ailment, heart disease or diabetes, Mm -hmm. and we need to remove that stigma associated with mental health. Another famous person bringing awareness to this issue is Goldie Hawn, who started a nonprofit called Mind Up back in 2003. Goldie uh, said she was prompted to do something for the youth after the horrific tragedy of 9-11, and she just felt she had a call to action to create a program that would help kids kind of self-regulate, which I love this. It's a, it's a different kind of approach to mm-hmm. mental health. Their mission is to help children develop the knowledge and tools they need to manage stress, regulate emotions, and face the challenges of the 21st century with optimism, resilience, and compassion. They have a team of experts who focus on the neuroscience and social mm-hmm. emotional learning uh, and then positive psychology and mindful awareness. The program is taught in schools, which is really cool. So Mm -hmm. it's just offered at schools. So far, 7 million kids have been put through this program. So it's just becoming aware, like I'm feeling something, just Mm kind of like I was feeling in making connections and understanding the neuroscience. That you're normal and feeling that, that other people feel that way too. Right, and and that you're just aware. And then the research from this I thought was really, really cool that shows that students benefited from this program by improved attention, they improve their, you know, stress is measured by a hormone cortisol. Mm-hmm. They improve peer ratings of kindness. So they, you know, got along Treated better. each other better. Yeah. Socialness and peer acceptance. And lastly, they improved uh, academics. And I just love both these ladies have brought to the mental health. Yeah. So I did cool. not know that about Goldie Hawn yeah. at all. I'm going to have to look into that because yeah. I have her book. I just haven't read it yet. Right. Awesome. Dear boy in middle school who told me I look like a before picture. I'm not mad anymore. You're brilliant. I'm always becoming a better me. Alexi Pappas. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.